you are in with the ghost of radio. Welcome back to this, our shared podcast in this, our shared origin season. Oh, it's cauldronette time because wherever and whenever you are, as of this moment, it's October. And that's when the cauldron filled with episodes of Mid-Century Horror Radio was first filled. And so you know that each October I ghost a very special, very special selection into a seasonal cauldronette, and we choose an episode from there. And magically, into my hand, they are thrust up in the order of which they will spook the life out of you. This is week two. And what we will be encountering this week is spider. From Lights Out, Everybody. Spider. From Lights Out. You will go to the internet. You'll open that up. You will type in relicradio.com or archive.org, the internet archive, or you'll open a non-tracking browser and type in Lights Out Radio, single episodes, which will mostly get you to archive.org, or... Lights Out Radio Spider. You will find it. The whole moral of the story is that it will find you. You listen in your own ways and times. You come back here, we discuss, we hit some clips, we make sense. Can you enjoy from the cauldronet? If your heart is true to mid-century horror radio, you will. Off you go. See you soon. All right, we are back. Are we? Are we all back from encountering the spider? Oh, what an episode this is. And we see that the cauldron has influenced me in unseen ways to come up with another episode that is about the horrors of being imprisoned against your will to fulfill somebody else's malevolent ends the horror of becoming a tool and a pawn in someone else's game. And it's not in the order that you may think it is if someone just described the plot to you. Now, is it? Oh, no, it's much more than that. And that's why it's in our cauldronette. Let's jump right in. Ionized Yeast presents... Lights out, everybody. This is 
Arch Obler. In these days, the jungles are full of the whine of machine gun bullets and with 25 caliber automatic rifles. There was a time, though, when the sound in the jungle was that of insects and the raucous call of jungle birds. Men went into the tropical forest for high adventures or to make money. It's of these times that our story is tonight. And now, lights out. Everybody. So it would not be lights out if it did not mention the war, the beating heart of horror, of real-world horror at the center of this imaginative play venue always. But this opening doesn't quite ring true, does it? This is one of those times when a story is delivering maybe even a little bit more than the writer or the host expected. Now, Arch Obler is usually our writer, producer, and director. If he wrote this, and I think he did because no other writer is credited, then perhaps by this point even he was back peddling from the actual story that he is about to deliver, which is not about innocent high adventure. This is another story of war, and it is as dark as any story of war could be. We're going to listen at length to the intro conversation here, because it irrevocably sets up the moral heart of darkness at the center of this story. The jungles of the upper Amazon. You don't have to shout. I hear you. Hey, Dixie, look. Hey, look at this. Look at this one. Look at it right there. Ah, another butterfly. Yeah, look at these wings. Look at them. Better if it had wings big as an airplane to take us out of this hellhole. I bet I'll get ten francs for this one. <laughs> if we get out of the jungle alive. Oh, I'll get out. Aye. You mean we? You wouldn't leave me here. Ah, uh, don't worry, Dixie. You get in this with me and you'll get out of it with me. Uh, sit down. Until the ants begin to eat you. Oh, cut it out. Well, can't you do anything but sing the blues? Uh, I suppose I should be happy. I should sing a song because the sun is burning me up, because the insects bite me. Because I'm here in this devil's hole, half the world away from my home. Cut it out. If I like it any better than you do, it's our only chance, see? Catching these bugs, our only chance to get a dough and get out of here. But the sun... Be- you think the sun's any colder working in the mines? You think the sun's any colder sitting out there on the beach, tearing your heart out every time you see a boat heading back? Tell you, Dixie, the jungle's the only chance we have to get out of here, and by the devil, I'm taken. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I know what you say. Our only chance. Sure is. Now snap out of it. Another a couple of days like this one, and we'll have caught enough of these bugs to head back to the coast. But when we get through... Listen, Dixie, when I say I'm getting out of here, I'm getting out. But the natives say... Cut it out, I tell you. Nothing's going to stop me. But if we do get out, how do we know that Mr. Renat will buy the butterflies? Listen, he said he would, didn't he? Oh, what a man says. Yeah? Why shouldn't he buy them? Gives us a franc apiece and then sells them all over the world for plenty of dough. But who would waste money on such things? Don't you know nothing? 
schools, museums. They pay plenty of dough for these jungle butterflies. But why should anybody... Oh, forget it, I tell you. Yeah, hard enough without you shooting your mouth up all over, all over the time? Now, I still, I tell you, forget it. should be happy, stuck here in this hole, half the world away from my home? That's what Dixie says, right? That he is going through the misery and the torture of being trapped somewhere far from home, where it's physically difficult, it's hot, there's insects, it's a miserable life. But he has been imprisoned there. They are both criminals. Um, he'll say that later. They're both criminals. And I don't know what the behind the scenes deal is that somehow they are on this island trying to trap wildlife to get enough money to leave. It doesn't seem like a work release program. I guess they managed to avoid jail. They had to leave the US because they were on the run on the lamb. Somehow they hitch a ride or they stow away on a steamer and they end up here doing this work. Well, that is the main message of this story, right? We just came off of them last week for our first cauldronette visit about being locked up against your will as part of somebody else's larger plan. And you are just a thing, just a piece of wood they throw on the fire to keep their plan going. That is also happening here. But here it is more explicit all the way throughout. These two men who hate being trapped half a world away from their homes in an uncomfortable place where nobody cares about them and wouldn't care if they died and would exploit them until they die. These two men are doing that to all of these butterflies and other insects who live in this jungle. They capture them. They imprison them. They send them half the world away from their home where they live in horrid and miserable captivity in schoolrooms, 
libraries, maybe they're killed and just their bodies are displayed. They are things to be exploited, to be trapped, taken from their home, and sent far away in misery. That is made explicitly clear at the very start of this, and it only gets worse as they go through the story, and Joe actually has the spider. We will see the language that he uses about it. It ends up making it impossible for us to sympathize with him. Does that spider do anything to him that he wasn't planning on doing to that spider? We could begin to see the spider as a bit of a hero character, and we will get into some deep reads on that as we go along. And really, we get one in the next scene. So Joe also eventually sees the spider, and in this scene, he's rigging up his trap to catch it. And when he says it won't be butterflies paying our way back home, you suddenly get a King Kong parallel, right? Men who go to a tropical island discover a huge, a giant form of wildlife and take it back home to exploit it. The spider is the King Kong here. And that, again, sets that tone of exploitation, imprisonment, merciless, uncaring, that is going to be Joe's undoing and Dixie's. Spider. Pull the line tighter. Yeah, yeah, that does it. Okay, come on out of the tree now. All right. Now watch yourself. Don't shake that tree too much. That trap door settle a hair trigger. Yeah. Now it's done. Yeah. That cage ain't strong enough to hold it. You can run a knife through. But but what if it doesn't come here again? Here by the tree the last two nights, wasn't it? Yeah, but what? So it'll do it again. Well, this time it's going to stay by the tree. But what if the trap fails? Don't start that again. I'll tell you one jerk of the spot where we're sitting, the whole cage will fall right on him. Then, my friend, our troubles are all over. I tell you, Joe, I'm afraid. Afraid of what? Getting out of here and getting someplace where we can live like men? You afraid of making money? Money? Listen, for a spider that big, I could get enough cash to float home with silk shirts on our back. Think of it. A spider that big? We'll clean up with it. No, Joe, no. I say, let's get away from here. <laughs> oh, scared you, Dixie, huh? Well, it told me. I tell you, this blast, the jungle has spit out a gold mine for it. But, but the trap. Are you sure, for sure? Oh, sure, I'm sure. We'll catch him. <laughs> and it won't be butterflies paying our ship there home, Dixie. It'll be the biggest spider in the world. <laughs> That's all right, huh, Dixie? <laughs> but are you sure of the trap, Joe? The very piercing and constant animal cries at the beginning of that clip and throughout that scene, to me, begin to sound like other animals calling for help. Do something, do something about these men who have come here to imprison us, drag us away to our deaths. Maybe they are calling down that spider. In the next scene where they trap the spider... We get the first hints of that kind of agency on his part, that he is appearing on the scene for justice. He has been hanging around the camp. He's been watching. He sees what they do. They catch these 
What could be more innocent than a butterfly? Catch an innocent, harmless creature and they destroy it. They plot its destruction. He's been watching. And now he's taking the action of letting himself be caught. Now he's caught. But there's a catch to the way that he is caught that Dixie points out at the end of the scene. It's Stay quiet. Joe, let him go. Quiet, I kid you. Don't pull a trap. Quiet. He's looking at us. The step will be right under you. There. I got it. I got it. Oh, look at it, Dixie. Drop And it's mine. The biggest spider in creation. I'll get all the money I need. <laughs> well, Dixie, what's the matter with you? Come on, why don't you say something? Crap. And it doesn't move. Just looks at us. Yes, the judge doesn't generally move during a courtroom sentencing. The judge sits and lets the sentence come down. I really believe this message is piled on, heaped on in the next scene where Joe is speaking so openly about his cruelty. I'm going to starve this spider. I'm going to keep it in the sun, the tropical sun, so that it is just shy of being killed. I'm going to broil it and starve it until it's so weak that I can put the bottom on the cage and we can move it. His, gosh, just his callous cruelty by this point has completely, if it hadn't already happened, removed Joe from the realm of our sympathy. It's so aggressive, and it's really part of the horror of this story that human beings treat other animals in this way, don't really think about it. And the fact that it's a big, scary spider is supposed to make it okay. But it does not make it okay. Nothing could make this okay. You. Eh? Oh. How many days? Since well, say it. Since we caught the big fella? <laughs> three. Yeah, three days. You haven't said it. You're telling me. Why do you... Because I planned it smart. Pretty soon that thing won't be caring much about anything. And I'm going to slip a bottom of that cage and off we go. They say such creatures can live for a long time without eating. Not when they're that size. I figure that sitting out there in that sun all day. Well, in about a week it won't care much whatever we do with it. Do? Yeah. How could such a creature be? What do you mean, how could it be? You're looking at it, ain't you? But such a spot. <laughs> it's there. That's all that means anything to me. But such a giant creature. That's it. It's a giant, ain't it? Well, you've seen giant human beings in circuses, haven't you? Well, they just happen, that's all. That's the way this spider happened. So black. Yeah. The midnight special, ain't he? Big, hairy legs. Once I saw an octopus. Uh, devilfish. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. This one looks like a, a dry land devilfish, is that it? Yeah. Oh, we'll have to make a billboard of the circus sideshow. Will we clean up? The legs, the strength, the must have. Mm-hmm, not when I get to it. Look at it, Joe, be honest. Huh? Isn't there a strange fascination when you look at it closely? What are you talking about? Its eyes. Well, 
How this shine? So what? As if there was a thought behind. You start not again. All these three days it sits there so quietly. Its eyes like burning flames just watching. Cut watching. it out. Cut it out. If it is thinking. I'm afraid of what it is thinking. All right, so that evil plan that Joe is carrying out of torture and then abandoning, forcing out of the home, taking away, and eventual death, of course, after a horrible life as a circus sideshow or something, the King Kong plan Joe unveils there. Well, he is about to get his, right? You would think that what is about to happen to Joe would be the end of any normal story about a spider, of course, but this is not any normal story. This is lights out. But it's, and it's so of a piece with so many of the best stories we've heard from Lights Out. Let's get the first Lights Out classic moment of supernatural type of revenge. The spider is very natural, but its cognition is something that we would perceive perhaps as supernatural. Let's have our first death. And as so often happens in Lights Out, I think we are really invited to stand in judgment of the person who is being executed for his crimes. Howdy, this spider. Yeah, plenty of that. He thinks he couldn't take it anymore. He's off looking for a cool spot. But me, uh, I didn't want to leave you alone, spider. I didn't want to leave my meal ticket. You're going to be a big-time attraction on the boardwalk in some big-time circus, Spider. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're a screwy-looking thing, Spider. They don't believe you until they see it. The fella is going to cost them plenty before they do see it. <laughs> hey, Spider. Why don't you move? Spider. You're not dead. You can't be dead. It's been only a week since. You can't be dead. You're my chance. Shoot your legs over you. Let's go. Let go of me. You bastard devil. You fool me. Let go. Let go of my arm. Get away. Let go. Dixie. Dixie. Ah, the other Lights Out classic, Joe narrates his own death. We have loved this since the days of Murder Castle back in season one. We get a long death narration from Joe, but it will not be the last one, right? When Dixie returns, he doesn't even recognize Joe's body. That is one of those wonderful details that is just left undeveloped for us. We take that and run on our owns with our own imagination, our owns, our own imaginations on that one. What does the spider do that makes Joe's body so unrecognizable? 
Well, Dixie wants to get out of there. He's going to pack up and leave, but he panics. And of course, he falls and hurts his leg. Thus will begin, as you recall, another death narration. This is the longest narration of one's own death found in Lights Out. And I was thinking of it when I ghosted that very first welcome episode for you back a few Halloweens ago, a few Octobers ago in S1 at 1. This is the rest of the episode, Dixie's long, long death narration. And we're going to have to take it in pieces. Let's start with the first one. <sighs> Spider's Revenge Part 2. Dixie crawls away through the night with his broken leg. Crawls and crawls and crawls so he can get away. But what does he realize when he stops crawling? Going to 
spinning a web over him, turning him around and around like a fly, covering him with that thick silk. What is the point at which Dixie loses his mind? Is it when he realizes he's back in the camp after crawling in a circle? Is it when he sees the spider again? Or is it when he sees the spider begin to wrap Joe up in the silk? Wrapping him up like a fly so that he can slowly consume him later. And this is an unbelievable callback to Joe saying when he saw the spider, This is enough to send us home with silk shirts on our backs. (laughs) That doesn't hit you immediately, but when you do remember it, I think that's when Dixie loses his mind, when he sees the silk shirt that Jack got from the spider. You know that the spider waited very deliberately. It patiently waited all night for Dixie to crawl in his circle and then come back, and he waited until Dixie was there to wrap Joe. He wanted him to see it. Dixie, this is the other great meme of Lights Out, Dixie was just you know, a bystander, right? Just like Claire in Revolt to the Worms. It was her husband who did the wrong thing, right? So why did she suffer a fate worse than death before she suffered death. Why does Dixie have to suffer? What did he do? When you are party to evil in any way, you are culpable. And Dixie has to die in a terrible way, just like Joe did, maybe even a worse way, because he sat back and did nothing to stop Joe's evil, because he wishy-washily sat by and let Joe do all this harm. So he has to go too. And that's what he's about to do. Let's roll through the ending of Dixie's long death narration. This morning, I'm alive. I'm alive. Someone come. Get a hide. Who? So heavy a wolf, it can't be that devil's spider. Must be one of the savages there. Help me. See who? Joe. It is Joe alive. Joe. Joe, I'm here. Joe, I'm here. Wait for me. Joe, why do you stand there? I must have had a dream. All that happened, yes, a dream last night. Oh, it's such a funny nightmare to tell you. Joe, why do you just stand there? Why do you just look at me? Your eyes, the sun shines on them, they hurt me. Don't look at me like that, Joe. Your eyes so dark, so big. I say closer, closer, my friend, come closer. I have such a happy thing to tell you closer. I hear you. 
I like what your eyes are singing to me, Joe. Yes, I'll come closer. Uh, you keep telling me that happy thing. Yeah. I'm close to you now, Joe. Tell me what your eyes... Your hand. Why do you grab my arm? Your other hand, my other arm. Why do your fingers hold my arm so tight they hurt me? Another arm on my shoulder. Joe, what? Another arm holding my neck. Joe, so many arms. How can it be? Joe, it is you. I see your face, but your eyes bigger and bigger. Sun so strong in my head, burning my head inside. Is that why I see such crazy things, Joe? Joe, why don't you say something? Your eyes bigger and bigger, burning into my head. Now your face is changing. Joe, it is you. Then why doesn't your face... <sighs> Joe, that sound. Your face, your arms. Spider. You are the spider. The spider. Your eyes fooled me, didn't they? Made me think I was seeing Joe, but all the time it was you, Mr. Spider. They're wonderful eyes you have, Mr. Spider. I'm not afraid anymore. Isn't that a joke? Your black arms pull me close. I see the poison dripping from your fangs. But I'm not afraid. It's very funny. When the worst thing really happens, you're not afraid. I'm not afraid. Your fangs. Closer. Closer. I'm not afraid. If you're not thinking of murder in the script department, you should be. The moment at which the person is so terrified that they are actually terrified out of their wits. And here Dixie, just like Mary, says, I'm not afraid. I see him. I see him. I'm not afraid anymore. You can see that this was a belief of Arch Obler's that when you are honestly faced with your worst fear, your mind just trips over and you go into this state where you can no longer, you just cannot be afraid anymore. Your mind snaps and you just don't fight it anymore. And because this episode started with him referencing the war, you get the strong feeling that he so often brought up this theme because he wondered what it was like to be in combat and to be afraid for your life all of the time until you just couldn't do it anymore. Well, Joe was in combat with that spider, with the butterflies, with all of nature, with anything that wasn't him. And he gets an awful retribution. 
Maybe all those creatures who were crying out for help when they were faced with Joe are silent now and grateful to someone bigger than them who was able to step in. The spider. Let's get our outro. And you know that after a story of this intensity level, the usual is going to happen. Our Ironized East spokesperson is going to ask Arch, gee, what was this story about? Or the equivalent of, this isn't for real, is it? And Arch is going to waste our time talking about something foolish. That's what he always did to try to cut the tension. (laughs) I don't think this tension is cuttable. This little outro certainly does nothing to shift my mind from the horrible place it has been imprisoned in. Now, Mr. Obler, what's the moral of tonight's story? Stay away from spiders? Yes, especially from black widows. No, Frank, our story tonight was just in fun, which reminds me of occasions of which few of us are going to have any this year. And speaking of occasions, I'd like to tell you about a very amazing vacation I once had visiting haunted houses. And after that vacation, I was badly in need of something our government wants most very much these days. Nurses. Now, here's some facts, and please listen, because they concern each of you. Unless the nurse power of the entire nation is reinforced by the enrollment of 65,000 students in the schools of nursing for 1943, all of us face a real threat to civilian health. Therefore, beginning immediately and continuing through the spring and summer months, Nursing must be considered America's number one woman power shortage. I'd like to say some words that the government said. 65,000 young women must dedicate their lives so that others might live. Now about haunted houses. Well, I visited all the legendary haunts up in New England, but, well, I went through the moss-covered old piles and creaky-floored structures and weather-beaten homes and... All the places where the souls of the unhappy departed are supposed to walk through the night. <laughs> what happened? I caught a, a violent cold oh. and met a little old lady. Oh, who's she? Well, you'll meet her next week in a play titled Little Old Lady. And to all of you, I have a very, very cordial invitation to an amazing little old lady next week. Yes, tune in next Tuesday again for Arch Obler's eerie story, Little Old Lady. Well, he did his best. He did all he could. But there's no way we leave this episode shaken off what we have just heard. People who tuned in the next week for Little Old Lady would be deeply, deeply disappointed or maybe relieved that they were not in for another hell ride like they had with this story. That is Spider from Lights Out, Everybody. And it really hits all of the high notes of a classic Lights Out episode. Retributive justice, deep horror, death narrations, and a backpedaling outro. Well, we're only two steps into this cauldronette, and already we find ourselves behind a door that is really closing fast, isn't it? That theme of being trapped for somebody else's purposes seems to be what the cauldron wants us to think about this origin season. And so, of course, we will gratify it. That's what we have to do. 
whether we are in Omaha, Rockville, Meadville, or Cleveland. We know where we are. We know where we want to stay. Of our own free will, of course, and that's around this cauldronette. I know that you'll be here next week, waiting to see just how far this horrible journey goes. Well, until that anticipated moment, go your way this week. Be safe, be happy, and I'll see you soon. Why do you grab my arm? Your other hand, my other arm. Why do your fingers hold my arm so tight they hurt me? Another arm on my shoulder, Joe. Another arm holding my neck. Joe, so many arms, how can it be?